Now, I want to introduce to you guys my friend John Zondervan. He's going to come up to the stage, and I was trying to think of how I could introduce him. He is the funniest guy I have ever met in my entire <laughs> life. If you do not follow him on Twitter, you're missing out. Yeah, there's stairs over there. I'm good. So I just wanted to use his own words real quickly to introduce him to you. So, here we go. My life is already stressed out, and now I have some bear on a billboard telling me I'm the only one that can prevent forest fires. <laughs> Hashtag too much pressure. But there's more. Sometimes in life, you really, really, really need a friend, especially when you're playing Frisbee. <laughs> Whenever I counsel couples preparing to have children, I start by making sure they've re they're ready to watch the same movie 367 <laughs> times. Hashtag wisdom. And finally, someone commented on how competitive Kendra and I both are, so we just kind of looked at each other and laughed, but I laughed way harder. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Not only is he hilarious, but he is an incredible man of the Lord. He is a, a testament of the power of the gospel, the work of the Holy Spirit Amen. in the life to completely transform and to change you. He's an incredible friend of mine. He is one of the best men that you will ever meet. So join me in welcoming Pastor John Zondervan. <laughs> Thank you so much. I hope that you enjoyed that small sampling of my Twitter feed. <laughs> Sometimes I am serious, though, and uh, inspirational. More in the morning, and then uh, progressively get less so. Anyways, uh, let me just say thank you so much to Pastor Jeremy and to Anna for allowing me to be here. I was actually here uh, as a guest. Kendra and I, I brought my beautiful wife with me. Um, the second service that, that ever happened here at uh, Radiant Ann Arbor, and we haven't been back since, and it is a huge honor and privilege for me to be here. Jeremy and Anna are incredible Friends and leaders, we've known each other a long time. He's, he's one of those guys that's just really good at, like, everything. You know, he sings, he plays, he's smart, he's all of, uh, he's like this total package kind of a guy, and he's just a phenomenal, phenomenal leader. And I knew two years ago when, when God called him here that it was going to be to do powerful things. And I'm just so, so proud and honored to, to know him and to have uh, an opportunity to be and, and share the pulpits um, with him. So thank you. I mean, I, I could talk about... Jeremy for a long time, but he said there's a movie showing here at like 2.30, so I had to be done in a couple hours, so <laughs> we'll move on. No, I'm just kidding. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and it is our desire, Holy Spirit, to have you speak to us. God, I believe every single time that your word is read, your word is spoken, your word is declared, that God, it creates an encounter, and because your word is alive, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, so we ask, God, that you would encounter us in our lives right now. Each one of us, where we are as individuals, you know every story, you know every circumstance, you know every single heart that's in this place, God. And it is your desire to see us grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God, help us. Help us to grow this morning, Father, as we hear your word, as we're encouraged, and as we move towards the destinies you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Matthew chapter 5, if you brought a Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, and just sit next to a Christian and share theirs. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Don't shout me down. I just got here. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, <laughs> verse 14. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. The people do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the room. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A very familiar scripture that Jesus is speaking, and very timely 
For, for this church and for the church I come from, also radiant church, because that's our, sort of our mantra. We shine. We're radiant. And Jesus says here that we are the light of the world. And I've read this, you know, probably hundreds of times, but a few months ago I was reading this in Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible. It's called The Message. If you don't know what that is, it's a very contemporary uh, translation of the Bible, and it, and it just reads differently, but creates the same points. And so I was reading the Beatitudes, which Jesus speaks just prior to this, and they're so beautiful in that translation. And then I read on to just where he says, you know, you're the, the light of the world and a city on a hill. And I think it, it spoke to me not only because of Radiant Church and because our pastor, my pastor, Lee Cummings, wrote a book called Be Radiant and all these things that sort of encompass shining um, in my world. But for me personally, I was not a Christian until I was 24 years old. So I went my, all my high school years and my young adult life far from God. In fact, we, we were those who made fun of Christians. We were those who made fun of people who tried to do the right thing and tried to follow God. And I was a leader <clears throat> in many ways, but I was a poor leader. And I led people to do wrong things. And so my, my testimony is one of those that includes drugs and alcohol and partying and, and that lifestyle. And I'm grateful to God that I was delivered uh, miraculously, really, at, at age 24. In the church that I now serve at, uh, I gave my heart to the Lord there. My parents were there. Their, their brothers and sisters were there. It was just a crazy time uh, to do that. But I went forward. I mean, I just bawled. I mean, my life had literally hit rock bottom. So I felt like in that moment that God said, I'm going, I'm going to use you. I'm going to redeem those, those young years of your life. Uh, and you're going to have an opportunity to, to still influence people in a, in a good way and in a godly way. And so I've been in youth ministry now for 11 years, so I've had that, that opportunity. Uh, and I'm so grateful to be able to help young people reach their potential, help young people see that, that they don't have to do uh, what the world says they have to do, that God has a, a design and a purpose and a distinct plan for their lives. So I'm very grateful for that. So this, this verse means a lot to me personally. What does it look like to shine? Jesus said in John 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He said, and those who, who follow me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So obviously when Jesus is speaking to us, he's not putting us in the exact same category as himself when he says he's the light of the world, but he uses that same verbiage. You are the light of the world. We are representative of the light and love of Jesus Christ. So what does that look like for us as Christians? And that's what I want to talk to us today. What does it look like to live as the light of the world? Because I believe it's, sometimes you have to take the Bible and make it a little Apply it personally. Make it pragmatic, if you will. Make it personal, because the Bible says God's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Now it's a matter of us living that out. So I think it's important we establish a few things about living as the light. Number one, Jesus was not saying that if we're going to live as the light, that it's our primary job to condemn darkness. I want to make that clear. I don't think as Christians, it's not our job to stand up and to point at people who aren't like us and point at the darkness and say, you're wrong, you're the reason society is going down, you're the reason that this is happening. <clears throat> That's not our primary role. Jesus never did that. The only persons that Jesus confronted when you read the Gospels are the religious people, are the Pharisees, are those who thought that they had it all together and were the light, but they weren't. In fact, the Bible says that a prostitute was brought to Jesus. And remember, he bent down, accusers were right there, wanted her to be stoned, started writing in the dirt. And it says from the first uh, to the oldest to the least, when Jesus said, let you without sin cast the first stone, they began to leave. And 
And Jesus said, he said, where are your accusers? Are there none left to condemn you? And she said, none, my Lord. And then Jesus said, neither then do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And that, that idea of sin no more wasn't like, hey, you better get it together. It was an invitation from Jesus that you don't have to live this way. There is a completely new way of life that's offered to you in Jesus Christ. So it's not our job to condemn darkness. We're called to shine. Isaiah 60 says, arise and shine, for the glory of the Lord is upon you as a Christian. But then at the same time, it doesn't mean we're supposed to be just like the world. Obviously, light and darkness are very different. There's a huge contrast there. And so sometimes as Christians, we're too blended into society. So that's not our call either. We're supposed to stand up for what we believe. We're supposed to stand up and be the light. And then also, but in, in doing that, we're also not supposed to be like in a Christian bubble, you know, where we have no contact with outsiders, and, and it's just us and our Christian magazines eating our Christian mints, uh, <laughs> testaments or something, and, and we say, hey, don't get anywhere near us because you're dark, and we're light, and we can't have, you know, you to get away. That's not our, our call either. I think sometimes as Christians in society, especially in America, we're, we're often identified by what we're against instead of what we're for. And Jesus said in John 13 that people would know that we're Christ followers, that we're his disciples by the way we love one another. That's, what, that's supposed to be the trademark of Christianity. That's supposed to be what we're known for. So if we're going to live as the light, it's not doing those things. It's not taking, it's not you know, skewing the words of Jesus and, and putting our own slant on them. I want to just encourage you this morning with four things of how then do we live as the light because this metaphor is important about a Christian's role in society. What does it look like for us to be the light? So, I'm going to give you four things this morning. If you want to write them down, they're going to come up on the screen. If you want to live as the light of the world, the first thing you have to do is you have to believe it. Say believe it. Believe it. Say it again. Believe it. Believe it. Believe it. Awesome. Listen, we, we cannot live in this world where we think that living as the light or being an influence for Jesus is just for a couple super Christians. It's just for pastors or it's just for missionaries. It's just for people who have it all together, because then you will disqualify yourself and the impact God wants you to have in your sphere of influence, in your world. And the enemy, the devil, is so good at that, at, at making us feel like we're not good enough, making us feel like, oh, God could never use us, or pointing at other people and saying, look, their lives, they kind of got it together. They look like they know what they're doing. They love God way more than I do. And so we minimize, many times, the impact we can have for God in our lives. We have to believe that we are called by God to be the light of the world. We have to believe that God can use us where we are. We have to believe that God's grace is greater than anything that we've done. It's greater than our past. That's the gift of God, is salvation, is this idea that we don't have to be defined by who we were 10 years ago, by who we were 10 minutes ago. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. I want to read a scripture Ephesians chapter 6. It's one of my favorite verses in in the Bible, and it's Paul wrapping up this letter to the Ephesians. And listen to what he says. He says, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Sometimes when when we're trying to live this Christian life, we're we're thinking, i got to do this, and i got to pull myself up by my bootstraps, and i got to get this thing together. But Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then he says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, underline that in your Bible, against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. People are not the enemy. 
People are not the problem. Your boss is not the problem. Your crazy ex-wife is not the problem in, in your life. People are never the enemy. People are the prize. We have to know that as Christians. We are not fighting against people. Even people who might drive us crazy, people who we know are not living for God, people we know who are being hypocritical. At the end of the day, you have to have a heart for people that says, I want to love people no matter what. It doesn't mean we agree with them, but they, we don't single them out as the enemy. Paul says we're not wrestling against people or against flesh and blood, but instead against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, this present darkness against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, circle that, in the evil day, and having done all, to stand, circle that, verse 14, stand, therefore having fastened the belt of truth. Are you guys getting a theme here? What is it? Stand, yes! It's so important that we understand. Listen, I'm going to make a bold statement. You don't have to defeat the devil in your life. The devil has already been defeated by Jesus Christ and what he did 2,000 years ago. Your call as a Christian is to stand in the truth that is now Jesus Christ's authority in you. That is now the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. And it's such a different outlook on life. I just have to stand. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, Therefore, give thanks to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. And then the very next verse, verse 58, says, And be steadfast and immovable in that truth. All Satan wants to do is move you off the truth of who you are in Christ. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to see yourself as, as incapable of shining for Jesus. But you stand in the truth that's in Jesus. And here's how that looks in many ways. I don't know what that means for you individually, but you might have to wake up every morning and read Romans 8 verse 1 and memorize it. It says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Or 1 John 3.20 that says, even when our hearts condemn us, even when inside we feel like we're not good enough, we've done too much, the Bible says, but God is greater than our hearts. God is greater than your feelings. And he knows all things. And you begin to renew your mind to the truth that's in Jesus Christ. And you believe that God's called you for a distinct purpose and a calling. You're not here by accident. And the reason, guys, that it's so important is because every time that God wants to do something significant in the world, he uses people. That's why it's so important. God doesn't just wave a magic wand. God doesn't just snap his fingers. When God wants to do something significant, he uses people. And you see that. And if you read your Bible, you see he uses people who are typically never qualified, you wouldn't think, to be used by God. He called Abraham when Abraham wasn't even a believer. And he said, I want you to pack up your stuff and I want you to go to the land that I'll show you. <laughs> you know, if that's me, I'm like, can I get an address or something? You know, so, can I put this in my garment? <laughs> Where are we going? You know, and, 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 and even Moses he said, I'm going to use you to free my people from the most powerful empire in the world. And remember, Moses was like, I, I don't speak good. I stutter. I killed a guy. I, I have a terrible past. And remember, God just kept saying, no, you're the one. And then he was like, well, what if they don't listen to me? What if they don't believe me? Who do I say sent me? And remember, God was like, tell them I am sent you. Again, if that's me, I'm like, can I get a last name? Can I... Can I <laughs> Do you have anything else? That I can but every single time you look at Esther, God said, maybe you have been called for such a time 
as this. She was just a Jewish girl. She had no, no lineage, no heritage. She shouldn't have been married to a king. Mary, the mother of Jesus, just a, a Jewish girl. Saul used to persecute Christians, used to be responsible for their deaths. God said, I'm going to use you to reach the Gentiles. And he writes two-thirds of the Bible. So God's plan, if, if you're saying to yourself, I'm not perfect and I don't have it all together, then you're a perfect candidate for God to use you in the kingdom. All right? So that's number one. Believe it. If you're going to shine, you have to believe it. Number two, you have to protect the call of God on your life. Here's what I'm not saying when I say believe it. I'm not making allowances for sloppy Christian living. I'm not saying it doesn't matter your choices. It doesn't matter what you do, and God's going to use you just unilaterally no matter, no matter what. It's important that we protect what God wants to do in our lives because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. God, if you're a Christian in this room, God lives inside of you. And that call and that presence has to be protected. And it doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by default. It's our responsibility as Christians to protect that. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 4. <clears throat> Verse, out of the Message Bible, this is what I referred to earlier. Verse 23 says, keep vigilant watch over your heart because that's where life starts. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Avoid careless banter, white lies, and gossip. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Ignore the sideshow distractions. Watch your step, and the road will stretch out smooth before you. Look neither right nor left, but leave evil in the dust. He says, guard, you might know this scripture as guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow all the issues of your life. Protect and guard the call of God in your life. When I was 18 years old, I worked at Bill Knapp's restaurant. Anyone remember Bill Knapp's restaurant? Yes. That's where I met my beautiful wife. It's like the romance capital of the world. Anyways, uh, I worked there for a long time. And we had a four-star gas station, right? And I, I wasn't really a Christian, but we had a gas station right next to there. And I had a two or three year period where I was kind of addicted to scratch off lottery tickets. Uh, so I would go over there and I would just buy lottery tickets. And the way they get you is you only win like $2 or $4. And then you're like, okay, just give me four more or two more, you know? So, but one time I won $250 on a scratch off. And you'd have thought I signed like a Derek Jeter contract or something like that for, for 20 million. I was ready to retire and just sit back on my winnings. But here's the problem is the, the guy didn't have $250 to give me in the, in, in the till. So I had to go back to work with this ticket. And I am like not good at keeping things that are important. So I remember having it in my pocket and I'm flipping burgers literally with like one hand protecting this ticket. I was like, I can't let it go. I can't, this is, this is my future. You know, I'm like freaking out. <laughs> and I remember I was dumb and I told my friends, dude, I won $250. And they were like, can we see the ticket? No, I don't trust any of you, you know. And I was, I was guarding this thing like you would not believe. And, and, and later as I was preparing for this message, God spoke to me and said, how much more important is it that we guard the presence of God in our lives? That we guard the Holy Spirit who goes with us every single place that we go. That's how we shine. It's people see how we live and they give glory to God. They don't see how we live and then we're up on a pedestal like, oh, what a great Christian. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that our lives, they reflect the glory of God because he's inside of us. But you have to protect that. And it doesn't happen by accident. That's why he says, don't, get, don't be distracted. 
That's why Solomon said that in Proverbs chapter 4. Don't let the side show distractions. That's all Satan wants to do. He's not trying to get you to worship the devil or sacrifice animals or do something crazy. All he wants you to do is take Jesus Christ off the center of the throne of your life and put something else there. Put money there, put popularity there, put social media, put anything that, that is governing our society right now and our culture. That's all he wants to do. So you can't be distracted. If you want to shine, if you want to live for God, you have to stay focused on the things of God. I have a picture. I'm not a farmer. I'm not an equestrian. But I do, I do know horses. They exist. I don't know if you knew that, but these are real animals. <laughs> and those things, by their eyes, are called blinders. How many of you have ever seen a horse with blinders? Okay, yes. I did some research for you guys. I came prepared. I just want you to know that. Listen to what this says. Unlike the name suggests, horse blinders, also known as blinkers, do not actually blind the horses. But instead, they're firm leather squares or plastic cups that attach to a horse's bridle and prevent a horse from seeing behind them or beside them. Horses that pull wagons and carriages wear blinkers. Why? To prevent them from being distracted or panicked by what they might see behind the wagon. There you go. That's my preaching message to you right there. Don't get so concerned about what's beside you and what's behind you in your life that you can't see what God has in front of you, okay? So every time you think that you're getting distracted, remember, put the spiritual blinders, okay, over your eyes. Put the spiritual and stay focused on what God has. The second thing is you have to remember that you're called to be holy. You're called to be holy. And, and sometimes I think we maybe misrepresent that word. We don't understand it completely. If I, if I took a microphone and put it in front of you and said, okay, tell me what holiness means. You might be hard-pressed because sometimes we say, yeah, God's holy. We get that. We sing that, that God is holy. But the Bible says in 1 Peter, God says, be holy. He's telling us, as I am holy. In all of your conduct, he's saying to be holy. So sometimes we think, well, how can we be holy? Because we have holiness defined as I don't know what, you know, black socks that we pull up over our knees and 50-pound heathen choker Bibles and, and I never go to the movies and I don't have fun and I only smile once a year and, and that's what we think holiness can be sometimes. I want you to remember, every time you read the word holiness in the Bible, all that means is to be separate, to be called out, set apart. That's what holiness is. And that's why God said, Israel, you're my holy nation. Not because of their conduct. If you read your Bible, Israel screwed up all the time. But God called them holy because he separated them. He set them apart for a holy purpose. And as soon as you become a Christian, God does the exact same thing in your life. He sets you apart. And now your life will never be the same. You have a call, a distinct call from God for a purpose, for a holy purpose. Despite your actions, despite your struggles, God still has called you to a holy purpose. When I grew up, my mom was hardcore into plants and flowers and stuff. So we had tons of pots. You know what I mean? The, the flower pots that you put flowers in. Sorry, I didn't study this as hard. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And we, they were all in our garage. And we would use them all the time for, for anything. We wore them as hats, me and my friends. We put them down as goals when we played soccer. We put them down for bases when we played baseball, you know, first, second, third home. We just, we, we occasionally went to the bathroom in these when we didn't want to go inside. Sorry, we were messed up kids. Uh, <laughs> but there came a time when my mom would plant her flowers, plant the tomatoes or strawberries or whatever she put in there. And then there, there's like this 
topsoil, this really nice dirt and compost, and she plants these things, and now those pots are off limits. There's no more using them for bases. There's no more using them for hats. Why? Because now my mom has set those apart for a specific purpose. And you need to realize that God has set you apart in that same way. And God has filled you with his Holy Spirit. And you have to protect that. And you'll never be the same. You might have used to be able to go to these places and go to that party and go to that thing and it didn't bother you. Now you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. And you take him with you everywhere that you go. And we need to be aware of that as Christians. And you need to realize that it's going to look weird to the world when you defend the call of God in your life, when you protect the call of God. It's going to be weird. Your friends are going to say, what? You're not going to go out with us? What? You're not going to have sex till you're married? What? You're not even living with your girlfriend? What? And all of these things are going to sound crazy to the world. So you better be prepared to endure some level of persecution if you're going to live as the light for Jesus Christ. You better be ready for that. Because if you're not ready for that, then you're not ready to be used by God. Because it's going to look weird to the world. It's going to look strange to the world. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with that. So you protect the call. The third thing. You believe it. You protect the call. You learn to hear God for yourself. Learning to hear God for yourself. God has always desired to have a relationship with his people. To have fellowship with his people. That's always been the desire of God. But obviously when sin came in the garden, that relationship was broken. It used to be that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, and they had fellowship together. But then all throughout Scripture, what it is is the story of God redeeming his people and bringing them back to himself. But it's always been the desire of God to have relationship, not just rules. Not as Christians where we just do what we're told or we just follow this and we don't do this, but we're supposed to do this. That's never been the idea that God's had. So you have to understand that God wants to have relationship with you. There's a story in the Old Testament, and and it'll come up on the screen, but where God says, I'm going to reveal myself to Israel, to all of Israel. And so he says to Moses, get the people ready, because on the third day, I'm going to come down on this mountain, on Mount Sinai, and I'm going to speak to the people all together. All right, and then in Exodus chapter 20, I just want to read the verse, if we have that. I don't want to look it up. Can you go to the next one? I'm sorry. Exodus 20. So he says to get the people ready. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled. And they stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen. But don't let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you so that the fear of him may be before you and that you may not sin. But the people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. In this story, you have God wanting to reveal himself to his people. But the people said, no, we don't, we're, it's too much for us to hear God personally. Moses, you hear God, and then you tell him, tell us what he said, and we'll do whatever you want. And, and guys, we cannot, in the 21st century as Christians, be okay with only hearing about God from other people. We can't. I love church. I love pastors. I am a pastor. It's important. But it is not a substitute for your relationship with God. It can't be. It cannot be. So if you come to church and it's, we blow the dust off of our Bibles and we bring it with us on Sundays and that's the only time you have with God and the only food that you ingest spiritually, it is not enough 
for today's day and age. And you will not be able to complete all that God has for you. You have to develop your own relationship with God. You have to. We cannot afford as Christians to have bat middler Christianity. From a distance, you... Oh, sorry. Okay, fine. Bad joke. <laughs> That's what I call it. Bat middler where it's from a distance. God is watching us from a distance. God's not from a distance. God's not two million light years away saying, well, it's your job to get to me. God is present. God is here. God is inside of you. And you don't have to look far. The Bible says when you draw near to God, God's already there. He's in the secret place, Matthew 6 says, and he's waiting for you. And if you want one thing that will change your life forever, forever, literally change your life, not like, oh, that pizza I had changed my life. We use that phrase a lot for, for things that are not life-changing. But if you're talking about changing your life for real, Spend 20 minutes a day in the presence of God, praying and reading his word consistently, and ask God to speak to you. And then you begin to operate out of relationship instead of out of religion, instead of out of obligation. And you begin to know God. John 17, 3 said, this is eternal life, that they might know God and his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent. That is the desire of God, and it ought to be the desire of every human heart to know God. So we can't accept substitutes for the presence of God. Last thing is we can't afford to do life by ourselves. Don't do life alone. We're not created to do life by ourselves. Christianity is not, it's not a single sport. It's just not. You have to have people in your life. Jesus can be your personal Savior. Jesus cannot be your private Savior. So if, if you're one of those people who says, well, you know, my relationship with God, that's just between me and him and, and not with anybody else, so that's, that's not biblical. That's not what God says. God says, no, you're called to shine so that others see your good works and bring glory to God. So there has to be others in your life. There has to be accountability in your life. You have to have community with people that you can be vulnerable with, that you can be transparent with, that can ask you tough questions. The Bible talks about iron, sharpening iron. And, and the battles that we face, we cannot fight alone. Yes, we have God, and that's incredible. But we are in need of others around us in our lives. How many of you remember the story of, of David and Goliath? You guys heard that story before? David fights a big, giant Goliath. I have a picture of it. <clears throat> okay, wait, that's not it. Never mind. That's, that's not exactly biblical. But the idea is that David was very small, and Goliath was this huge giant, you remember? And the Philistines kept calling out Israel saying, send us a man. And, and everybody was quivering and scared and, and, and too frightened to face Goliath. But David shows up on the scene and he says, what's going on? And they tell him, you know, oh, if anybody beats him, the king will give him daughter in marriage. And, and, and David, David said, well, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. I mean, David's just filled with faith. If you read, David has some issues, but David is a warrior. And David is, I mean, he goes out there, and we know the story, with just a slingshot and five stones, and he, you know, and he sticks the stone in the giant's head, and he falls over, and he dies. And that's where the, the, the children's Bible version ends, right there. But the real Bible <laughs> says that then he takes Goliath's own sword and cuts his head off, and then picks his head up and like drives around Jerusalem with it, going, ah, because David was crazy, okay? I want you to understand, David was a crazy, crazy warrior for God, all right? 
And so he has these incredible victories. And sometimes we can think, oh, yeah, if only I was like David. Oh, David's the man. Oh, David this, David that. But I want you to realize there's a story. Look at this in 2 Samuel 21. It's not well known, but it says this. There was, again, a war between the Philistines and Israel. And David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. And Ishbabinab, I almost named my son that. Isn't that a great name? Ishbabinab. <laughs> One of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, everybody say Abishai. Abishai. Abishai, the son of Zeruah, came to his aid, attacked the Philistine, and killed him. I love this story. You know why? Because it doesn't matter how strong of a Christian you are. David was an amazing warrior. But there came a time in his life when David grew weary. And no matter where you're going through, no matter how strong you think you are spiritually, there will be a time when you grow weary, when you get tired, when things happen in your life. And the Bible says, Ishbabinab, the devil, the enemy, was prepared to kill him. Had David cornered, David was defenseless in many ways, but Abishai, David had an Abishai who came to his aid, fought the giant, and killed him for David. And I'm telling us, as Christians, we need an Abishai in our lives. We need someone who will come along when we're weary, when our battle is tiring us out. And yes, it's important to strengthen yourself in the Lord, and the Bible says David did that too, but it is also important to have people in your life who will sharpen the iron, who will be there for you, who will encourage you, who will help you fight your battles, and who you can be transparent and vulnerable with so that you can finish the race that God set before you. Amen? Hey Amen. When you guys stand with your, on your feet with me, I just want to pray over you. And I'd like you to just think about your own life right now with, with your eyes closed, and it's not anything other than just creating space for yourself. But what is it? Maybe it's something that, that, that the Holy Spirit spoke to you during this, this time together that, that said, yes, I, I haven't separated myself the way that, that I'd like to, and I haven't enabled God to do what... He wants to do, and I haven't made space, or I haven't guarded the Holy Spirit, or I haven't believed that I've been believing lies about myself, or, or maybe it's something completely different. But whatever God might have revealed to you, I just want to pray over you. It is my complete hope that you're just encouraged, that you leave this place with just a fresh sense of God's call on your life, of the Holy Spirit alive in you, and that God uses regular and ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So if you need to, to, to renounce a lie that you've believed, if you need to ask God for, for a friend, for an Abishai in your life, whatever that might be, just as I pray, just release that to God. Father, in the name of Jesus, it is our desire, God, to shine for you, to have our lives reflect the light of Christ, Father. And not for our own good, God, not so that others see us, but as your word says, so that they see our good works and give glory to God, Father. That's our desire. That God, everything we do would reflect back to you and you would receive the glory. And right now, God, I speak to the hearts of the people in this room and I ask you, God, to reveal what only you can reveal so that there can be freedom in this place, God. So that there can be an awakening to the power of the Holy Spirit. So that there can be, God, a complete dependence on you and your work, God. It is not in our strength, God, but in the power and the might of the Lord. So we stand 
in what you've accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ, Father. We stand in the victory that's been provided through Jesus. And God, we know, we know that one day we'll stand before you. And God, our desire is only to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant, God. We surrender our hearts to you. We surrender our lives to you. We give you, God, our hearts, Father. We give them to you. God, you don't take them. You don't demand them. We willingly lay down our lives and place them in your capable hands. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.